all language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. Can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? This is your chance to make that dream come true. Woo! All right, welcome everybody to Star Wars from the Bat to Tank, the Star Wars Resistance Edition. Hello, David. And here we go. All right, so we have a lot to get through with this episode. We're going to be talking about breaking down Star Wars Resistance Episode 1 and 2. Yes, we had a double episode. Are you dying over there I'm so early? We barely started the show and you're already... Uh... I need a cough, but uh, thank you. All right. Very professional. Every time I... F- <laughs> Every time I... You know what? I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> you don't want to get angry. Don't no. get angry. Not yet. Not I, yet. I need to get a cough button installed over there for the people on this network that are obviously dying of the HIV. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Star Wars Resistance has finally landed. Uh, we've been talking about this episode or this series for quite some time since it has been announced. Uh, it was uh, it was a series that was promoted with a lot of mystery. Uh, we were never really given a lot of details other than the fact that it was going to be an anime style uh, series dealing with the resistance. Yeah, and the time frame between Return of the Jedi and... Uh, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. That's all we got. And they managed to keep most of it a secret for the most part. Now, the series sets the series is set decades after the events of Return of the Jedi and six months to be more precise before the events of the Force Awakens. Yeah. And it follows Kasuda, a pilot who is recruited into the resistance to spy on the growing threat of the First Order. That sounds pretty exciting. When you read that synopsis, you are giddy as hell if you're a Star Wars fan. Because first off, the gap between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens is vast. It's vast, and basically there's a lot of questions that we had. I mean, everyone asks about the Battle of Jakku. Mm -hmm. Everyone asks about, well, what happens? And everybody wants to go back to Jakku. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Little Star Wars jokes there? Star Wars joke there. (laughs) All right. So we finally made it to the premiere of Star Wars Resistance, and we've delved into a time period, David, within Star Wars, as you were going into before I rudely made a joke (laughs) and interrupted you. Uh, We're going into a time period within Star Wars canon that is, for the most part, a complete mystery. Yeah. I'd say the most exciting part about this show is the possibility of finally shedding some light on the political landscape of this time. That's what both me and you were really hyped about. Yeah. Because like we were like going, oh, this could be this could be like a Cold War esque type of story mm-hmm. dealing with the rise of the first order and or the rise of the resistance. Yeah, tons of possibilities. The possibilities are literally endless with what they can do with this show. I mean the New Republic, the Resistance, and of course the First Order, why and how did the resistance form? These are the many ingredients that could really be used to craft this series. And we saw bits of that. Uh, episode one and two of the recruit does, in fact, briefly mention the growing threat of the First Order, uh, which for me was the strength of the episode. The way the uh, the way the writers decided to book in the parts, you know, parts one and two. With the threat, which is the first order. I thought that was a smart move to let audiences know that there is much more at work here. There's much more that's going to end up playing out before the end of the first season. Yeah. Because if you just took the episode at face value for what it is, really nothing happened. Nothing really transpired. And I feel that without those bookings, there would have been quite a bit of audiences that just kind of shrugged and said, okay, it's not horrible. Um, But uh, I don't really want to spend time watching this show because it doesn't really look like it's uh, very necessary 
That's why it was really important. I was actually really surprised they went two episodes for the premiere. For the premiere of Resistance. And then when I when I realized Why was like, that surprising for you? Because for me, the last couple of times they've done premieres, you gotta remember, they've always been doing like the whole what, thirty minute episode and then right. that's it. That's not true. Star Wars Rebels released our premieres. No, because I could have sworn that they only did 30 premieres and then they released a, a separate episode. It depends on what season you're talking about. Yeah. I know the first season was a, was a movie. First season was a movie. And then they released a full hour at Star Wars Celebration, I believe, the second season. So this is not a new territory for them to, to get into, launching more than one episode. In fact, the final season of Star Wars Rebels was nothing but one hour episodes, essentially. It was essentially, two episodes yes. put into one. Yeah. That one, yeah, I definitely agree with that. But I definitely think that in order for them to actually keep us engaged with this pilot, they had to make it like the hour episode. I agree. That's that's the key word right there. Engage. I like that choice of word, Dave, because they have to they have to keep the audience. First, they got to get us engaged. Yeah. And they got to keep us engaged in the story. And all TV shows got to have that hook. And this is something we talk about a lot on this network because that's what we do. We discuss and analyze TV series and movies and specifically with TV shows and the, and the tried and true method or the template of writing is having that gimmick or that hook. And the hook here is quite clear. The first order presents a growing threat. Yes. And the resistance must find out what that is, not only to prevent the threat from growing, but also to justify their existence. That is the hook. That is the, the what hundred words or less pitch that's the elevator pitch and people that may not maybe there may be people out there that don't know what that is but essentially in hollywood there's that that cliche the elevator pitch i'm a very busy executive dave i don't have a lot of time here so you better sell me on your tv idea or movie idea before this elevator gets to my stop to my level and that's what an elevator pitch is you have to sell this story of yours in a hundred words or less. And essentially that's what they did with this concept throughout the entire pre-production. And now that we have delved into this first episode or the first two episodes, and we have a kind of a more of a clearer idea of what they're going to do with this show, we get it. This is about the resistance and the growing threat of the first order, which is a strong concept. It is. It is a very strong concept because like, it's it's a big question mark, period. It's a big question mark. Isn't that the question we had from the very time we walked out at that we walked out of the theater from seeing The Force Awakens? We had questions. Well, what is the first order? How did they form? What is the resistance? Why do we have a resistance when we have the new republic? Public. And that's the thing, is like that question in itself is there's so many other questions that it opens up that trying to actually make a animation story about it mm-hmm. you got a lot of ground to cover a lot there there's so much that you have to actually answer for the question becomes did the pilot actually answer these because like that in order for the elevator pitch to work you have to actually score right out of the gates yeah and that's a, another great way of putting it dave with the questions were these questions answered I don't want to say they were answered, but the questions were posed. Posed, yeah. And I feel like that is a one one big win for this premiere. They did pose the question. And we now know because of the hook and because of the bookends, we know what essentially the series is going to be about. At least the first season, right? The first season. At least the first season. Because yeah. like the introduction and I, I thought the use of Poe and and the short bit with Leia and everything helped. Those were the bright spots of the episode that actually helped answer those questions. What is the point of actually Poe being there? He needs to find someone to actually go infiltrate the first order somehow. And what's the point of the resistance? Again, there was a few throwaway lines in the force awakens about them being able to do things that the Republic can't, But this is an interesting aspect. Does the resistance not have the trust of the galaxy? That's another question that was posed as well that I feel makes this story um, more interesting. Like, again, if you judge compelling. Thank you, Dave. Yes, because as uh, at face value, there isn't a lot to offer with this with this premiere. 
But when you look at the questions that are posed, then you begin to realize, okay, well, they have a plan. They've posed the questions because the 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 acceptance of the resistance is something you and I have also questioned. Does the galaxy feel like the resistance is is on the right side before when you had the Rebel Alliance, the Rebel Alliance was fighting against an evil, tyrannical empire that controlled the most farthest reaches of the galaxy, regions of the galaxy. Whereas with the resistance, they were formed for what? Because of a growing threat of a splinter group that doesn't really present a threat to the overall galaxy and maybe just a small portion. These are the questions that they have posed. And now hopefully they're going to just knock them down as the season goes through. Yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The the interesting part is like what I really wanted to find out is kind of like, just like what you said, how does everyone look at these two opposing groups? Because like, especially with where we came from, from the last Jedi, the whole, the the climactic point was the fact no one answers the, the, no one's answers their call for help. (laughs) So you mean to tell me that basically this this group that's led by Princess Leia, who is one of the legendary heroes, yeah. no one answers them. Right. So what what the heck was the point of the resistance? Who actually follows these guys? Yeah. And yeah. That's that's what I was like trying to figure out is kind of like they need to flesh out the resistance. They need to flesh them out really bad. And I saw that they I thought that this was what the series was going to do. And flesh out the resistance. And that's really the the kind of getting off subject, but also staying with it because it does pertain to this series. But that's one of the weaknesses of the new trilogy, even though I'm enjoying what we're getting for the most part. And I am a big fan of Force Awakens. Um. There wasn't very it wasn't very clear as to what the resistance does Like yeah. with with New Hope. Right. Back in 1977, we understand exactly what the Rebel Alliance is about and what they're fighting for and who they're fighting. With the prequels, we understand the threat of the Trade Federation and how it was the beginning stages of the manipulation of the entire galaxy to engulf them in war. We understood yes, that. We understood that from the very beginning. We got it. With this new trilogy, it is still murky and unclear what the purpose of the resistance is and why they're even around when there is a new republic. And I know that there has been books that have delved into it, but even the books aren't quite clear on exactly why we have a resistance. So this TV show is has a perfect. uh, Opportunity. A perfect opportunity to really explore an area that most of the books have only touched on. Even the movies themselves haven't really touched on them. In fact, they've kind of just breezed right over them. They haven't really got into the political landscape that much. They have exchanged the explanation of political of the political landscape of this time period for identity politics. Yes. Which, again, that's their choice. That's the story they want to tell. That's what they want to do. That's the, the idea of acceptance. I get all that. But they sacrificed a key ingredients to all Star Wars. And because of that, we are left in murky waters. So this series has a job to do. If you have the title Star Wars Resistance, then you have you have a lot of weight on your shoulders. There. You have a lot of weight. Right? Would you agree with that, Dave? No, absolutely. Because, like... I, I'm I, I'm a hundred percent right behind you. Is one of the weaknesses of the of the new trilogy is like we don't know what the heck's going on. We were just dropped into somewhere. We thought that basically the whole the whole basis of the story was going to be centered around Ray, but behind Ray is like this weird Cold War esque fight between the Resistance and the First Order, without actually establishing how both sides came to be. Right, because. You got to remember, as regular audiences, regular audiences know at the end of Return of the Jedi, the rep- all of a sudden we flash forward, what do we say, like 30 years, 20 years, and suddenly there's these two factions that just grew out of that just randomly? Where's the Galactic Empire in all this? I mean, the Senate was supposed to be actually reestablished by Princess Leia. David, I am the Senate, <laughs> if you didn't know this. I am the Senate. <laughs> yeah, so we could agree, right, Dave, that there is some murky waters, and this show is the perfect show to answer to it. answer those questions. And, you know, writers of Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, whether it be Kasdan or Ryan Johnson, 
they may say, well, the, the purpose of these of this trilogy isn't necessarily about the war. It's more of a backdrop. It's more of a, a filler to kind of motivate our heroes, whereas the main story is the intimate story of our characters, the individual problems. And I can get behind that. But there are still some plot holes here and there and some murky waters. But, yeah, if you're going to be using that backdrop as a motivation for the characters, then we have to understand what. Right. Where are those characters? Why are those characters being motivated by this? Right. Exactly. All right, Dave. So all this month, Rain Man Digital is celebrating Halloween. Did you know that, Dave? Oh, yeah, absolutely. RMD's Halloween Podtacular Special. This Halloween, Rain Man Digital gets into the spirit of things with seasonal programming. Supernatural, Star Wars, Constantine, Batman, role-playing games, and more. Keep your eyes peeled. These themed podcast episodes will be dropping randomly throughout the month of October via Rain Man Digital stable of shows. Go to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details. In fact, Dave, you and I... We have our own little Halloween special planned for this show. Yeah, and I'm really psyched for it because we're covering a comic book that I'm highly I, I'm highly excited about. Tales from Vader's Castle is what we're going to be covering every week of October. So people this month, Dave, our listeners are going to have a lot of shows on their feed. So keep your eyes looking and your thumbs and fingers scrolling. Get more Star Wars discussions every month with the Back to Tank Patreon exclusive shows. From Star Wars comics and book reviews to speculative discussions and breakdowns. All when you pledge to our Patreon page. What? Go to patreon.com slash Digital for more details. As you wish. The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. No. What? I would eat. We literally. We do not live in a third world country. I'm aware. You don't need to eat your best friend when they die. (laughs) And you don't need to eat you find in your backyard. I would literally eat everything that I just listed off without a beat. If something is prepared in such a way that it is meant for human consumption. Okay. Is your backyard just a menu? Thomas, hold on a second. Better question. Andrew, if. Let's say there were seven or eight people sure. stranded on an island. Mm-hmm. There was no food, but one, there was like nine of you. Sure. Okay. And you decided that Thomas Cowley, who died, unfortunately, in the accident, oh, he, he yeah. didn't survive. Let's say you guys need food. Yes. And you it's found a, a way. Situation. You, dinner party, you right? found a way to keep Thomas's body from decomposing, let's say. All right. Mm-hmm. Survivor 1 chose to eat his arm. Okay. Survivor 2 ate his legs. And all that was left was a crispy dick. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why we're not going to be on air like syndicated. I would go for a kidney, a heart, or a liver. There's nothing else left. Literally it's just it's a skeleton with a dick Survivor- on <laughs> Survivors 1 through 12. <laughs> Picked it up. Of the nine. Yeah, you were the runt of the survivors. <laughs> <laughs> and all that was left was a meaty cock. It is an extreme situation. Okay, so we're going like a month for three weeks to sake. a month yes. without food. Yes. You <laughs> just admitted you'd eat Thomas's cock. <laughs> In an extreme situation where cannibalism is not off the table. <laughs> for more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Even that part when he's going to look for it and you're in the middle of the stream and he takes a shovel and he's moving two top rocks with it and he's then he's kicking rocks and there it is. Yeah, you're telling me you buried this box years ago, Where right? It flood. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? That's what I was talking about when it comes to the the logic. Right. There's there's like even things that were just illogical thrown in this movie. I'm like, come on, I understand B because B there B movies. There's been some atrocious B movies, but the B movies is some of the cliches, some of the stereotypes, some of the over the top action of violence, some of the bad action. The sleaziness, but there's illogical decisions being made from a directing and writing standpoint. It has nothing to do with the actual movie per se. It's like, come on, you're telling me you couldn't have 
had a couple PAs say, hey, guys, you know what? Today you're going to dig a, a deep hole about six feet deep. Please start digging, and then we're going to bury this box in there. How yeah. hard would that have been? <laughs> Listen up, cowboys and cowgirls. You can now listen to Weird West Radio every Sunday. Only on Rain Man Digital. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, DEAL30, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And for your viewing pleasure, six free spicy movies on DVD, plus free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. So go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code DEAL30. Again, that's DEAL30 because without it, no free stuff. That's DEAL30 at adamandeve.com. So the resistance, yes. They managed to flesh it out just a bit, and I felt like the way they fleshed it out was kind of the tip of the iceberg. With that clever, I'd say it's clever writing, where they positioned Kazuda, yeah, Kazuda, in a position to where he were he was to join the resistance against his father's wishes. And the reason why I feel like this was a strength because it sheds some light on how the galaxy may view the resistance. And this is something that you and I have talked about for the past, I want to say three years now since the premiere. Has it been four years? No, three years since the premiere of The Force Awakens. Yeah. It is the perception of the resistance. When Kasuto's father says... That they are a radical group. Suddenly we understand the perception. That the galaxy may have when it pertains to the resistance. And this is a strong narrative factor that can really be used to propel not only this show. But also the final installment of the Skywalker trilogy. Imagine. If the writers this whole time have been working with that with the rebel alliance, for the most part, people viewed them as as uh, good people, right? People yeah. fighting against tyranny. They were heroes. But now imagine if they're viewed as radical. Let's say they are doing good things, but that's not the perception. I feel like that's strong because you can really use that to to, to really craft some very intimate stories and relevant stories for today's uh, political landscape and what's happening uh, overseas. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it ties into the it ties into what they're trying to now show about the Rebel Alliance, especially with like stories like Rogue One and everything. And the whole gray area. The whole gray area. Yeah. They're trying to actually show that basically that war is ugly. War is ugly, and it, it even though you might have won the battle or won the war, you still have scars after it. Yeah, and people will look at you a, a certain way because like. If people get caught up in, in the middle of your war, they're not going to look kindly upon you, regardless if you're the good guy or the bad guy. Yeah. And that's why I thought was I when they made that comment, then it put it actually in really great perspective for me. OK, I'm like uh, at that point, I said, OK, the 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 resistance is seen as a radical, pr- pretty much a terrorist organization now. Yeah. And it's basically well, it- kind of like Saw Gerrera. When Sagarera okay. was there, I can see that he was so seen as a radical. So the Rebel Alliance kind of turned into what Sagarera was, or at least the perception of the them. perception of yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And based on what we saw, I think most of us were able to form similar thoughts. And honestly, this could be the key ingredients to a series that could eventually be really good. And the key word is eventually. Eventually, there were moments. In this series, in this premiere, that felt very inconsistent. You had aerial action sequences. 
forced humor, odd character introductions, and strange video game type quests. Yes. All of this comes down to writing. The writing was what really brought this premiere down for me. Uh, this poor quality of writing is very evident with the introduction of our hero Kazuda. He's just way too inconsistent. Hotshot pilot who's in control. Then suddenly he's a clumsy and overly excitable. Then he's confident until he's not. Kasuda's characterization constantly shifted and it's all over the place. He's the lead of the show, but his legs are continually cut from under him by making him a buffoon. Not only that, it's kind of like his motivation also like shifts from every so sporadically. I'm yeah. trying to figure out you want to be a hot show, you want to be a hot shot pilot or you don't. And yeah. you just want to be part of the resistance. But then again, you don't want to be part of the resistance. Yeah. It's like it makes no sense and that's what hurt for me Kazuda because it's like a character's motivation to me is the most important thing when you establish it. Did he have motivation? That's that's the, yeah. one of the biggest problems. He didn't even have motivation. It was like, hey, it's it was circumstantial. It was like, hey, it's Poe Dameron of the Resistance. Oh, hey, it's Princess Leia. Hey, do you want to join the Resistance? And I see you have something special. Want to be a spy? <laughs> what it just happened what? randomly? Can you imagine if they did this with Clone Wars? Oh, back would, in two thousand and eight, it would torn to pieces. Or even Star Wars Rebels. And I bring those up because a lot of people are pointing to those examples of uh, or those uh, premieres as ways to say, "Well, this show's going to be just fine." They never cut Ezra or Kanan's feet out from under them. No. They never made them or Anakin or Obi Wan look like buffoons in the premiere. Yeah. The, uh, plus, there was buffoonery around them at times with the battle droids or Jar Jar, but not our main protagonist. Nobody wants to watch a clown with a blaster. Yeah, plus their motivations, those past characters' motivations were well established in the premiere. In Rebels, you got the sense that Ezra wanted to, his motivation, there was, motivation. was to be free. There was motivation, There David. was motivation there. Yeah. There was motivation to actually do something. And with this... There was just no motivation. There was no How motivation. else? We can't say it any other way. We just can't. Yeah. I know you're trying to, Dave, but there is no other way to say There's it. There's no other way to say it. There it's, was there was nothing of meat or value behind Kazuda and what is, he wanted to do. Which is sad because for me, there I see the potential of that character. That character, there is a lot of potential behind it because it's something different. It's something that we can go with. But if you don't establish his characteristics well enough... He's going to fall on his face so hard yeah. that people are just going to hate him. Yep. And then there's the logical problems that can also be summarized as poor, lazy writing. Uh, for some reason, Poe, as I had mentioned a moment ago, Poe sees something <laughs> in Kazuda, <laughs> Kazuda and decides to make him a spy for the resistance. He's to gather intel on the First Order. Where's the due process, David? Yeah, I was like, going, what if he's a first order spy? Did you even research him? <laughs> that, that's what I was like. Going, that's our commander, Poe Dameron. Yeah, oh, good okay. job, Poe. No wonder you got demoted in Last Jedi. Bad decisions. <laughs> bad decisions. <laughs> probably what Princess Leia was doing in that room. She was probably scolding him like, you're an idiot, Poe. You're an idiot. <laughs> Who was that idiot? That, that was a child you brought me. No, it was a seasoned veteran. No, that was an eight-year-old child. Hey, Poe Dameron, what was the yelling and the falling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kasuto's reluctance to join the Resistance was was a great way to introduce the idea that his father does not care for him or for them, I should say, for the resistance. For the resistance. But after a few seconds, Kasuda decides to just join. There were similar issues throughout. And one that really stood out for me is when Kasuda and his group needed parts for the fireball and they had no credits. So the dealers accepted sandwiches instead. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> No, no, that 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 kind of ticked me off. The other, the one thing that cracked me up was like Nico hearing that basically, oh, Kazuda's a hotshot putt. You're gonna be my buddy from here on yeah. out. Yeah. It's like 
Is there no due process in this, in this world now? Apparently, everybody is very trusting, and yeah. they prefer sandwiches over getting rich. Rich. <laughs> like I said, though, Dave, I see potential, but they better make some changes to the writing ASAP. Because oh, if the episodes continue to be this lazy, people may shrug and say, well, it's a show geared towards children, and you're being overly critical. Star Wars Rebels was a show geared towards children. Clone Wars is a cartoon that was also geared towards children. Initially towards children. There's lots of cartoons that I watch with my child that are geared towards children, but the writing is still good. The problem here isn't that it's geared towards children. The problem is that it's lazy writing. It's it's, absolutely it's lazy. very right, very lazy. And if they don't change it soon, I'm talking. They probably have what, maybe six, seven episodes produced, maybe eight. Yes. I, it's hard to say exactly. They may have all of them done at this point. This show will not last more than a season if they don't get that writing in order. And part of that may have to do with the fact that nobody of, of importance actually wrote this episode. How do you have a premiere episode not written by at least Justin Rich? I'm glad you brought this up because like. When I did the background on this episode, I was very surprised to see that there was no fingerprints of Filoni or Ridge on the writing. Yeah. The writing was done by the the current writer of, I believe you you actually told me. He's a Nickelodeon writer. Yeah, Nickelodeon writer. And it for, felt like it was Nickelodeon. For Ninja Turtles. And I'm like, like, you gave, that's great that you give that guy that opportunity, but. The premiere? The premiere. <laughs> Where's Filoni? And the episodes, Where's... the episode was directed by Stuart Lee and Saul Reese, which are both veteran directors. They've worked with Filoni. Yeah. For the past, I want to say at least through Star Wars Rebels. I'm not quite sure if they also worked with him on Clone Wars, but I know for a fact they did great work on Rebels. And I'm just flabbergasted that nobody of importance wrote the premiere. How do you launch this new show and it not at least be written by Filoni or Justin Rich? Justin Rich. I know Filoni is busy doing other things, but to write this episode, Filoni could do this in his sleep. Yeah. And Filoni was the one who actually pitched this. Uh, it's his show, David. For, he, he's credited as the creator of this show. Yeah. And he didn't even write the premiere. And I feel like that ultimately is going to hurt the show. The fact that they gave writing duties for the premiere to somebody who obviously isn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. Although the one thing that basically I know you you mentioned the writing and the stuff like that. There I also some, mentioned the the yelling and the falling. The yelling, the falling. But there was there uh, there were some bright spots to this uh, this episode in regards to the story. I mean, some of the things they introduced, the characters they introduced. One of my favorite ones was Jaeger, the character of Jaeger, mm -hmm. because that had me really intrigued. Because that touched on what we've been talking about. A character that basically doesn't want any part of the resistance whatsoever. Why? And he's really, he's really, you can tell that there's a bigger story being that might be told with that character is why he doesn't want the, any part of the resistance. He doesn't want, he knows that Poe is actually using uh, Kazuda as a spy, but he doesn't want any part of it. Right. But he's going to help Kazuda anyhow, because like, he he feels sorry for the kid, which is actually pretty cool for that character. And I'll I'll admit that, or I'll give you that. I'll give you that he was interesting. He, he was probably interesting. is the most interesting character of the show so far, including that element that he doesn't really want to have anything to do with the resistance because the way they're viewed. So that part is interesting. There are takeaways that are good but the overall writing was very contrived and was very lazy it and was very cookie cutter yeah yes Th this show needs to be that show that bridges the knowledge gap between return of the jedi and the force awakens the show that explains how we went from new republic to resistance and the right elements are there to do this they introduce the idea that the resistance has a perception problem which is the strength of the episodes and potentially even the season now, some of these issues could have to do with the fact, this is something we were talking about just a moment ago, it could have something to do with the fact that it would appear the show was not sure 
what the other movies were doing while they were writing and prepping the show. Uh, there was an interview with the writer of this episode, and he stated that it was a strange experience. The new movies were pretty much in development while we worked on the show. Sometimes we were not quite sure what was going to happen with, let's say, episode eight at the time or nine because of what was being produced and written for the movies. So that could also be an issue why this doesn't feel so strong. That it's almost they're not willing to commit. Yes. Because they're not sure what's happening with the other movies. Which is really surprising to me because like hearing that we've always been told from the get go that the Star Wars story group is very tightly knit. They know what story they want to be. They want to be telling out there. Right. They, they know themes. They know. They themes. know. They know concepts, but they don't quite know how. Obviously, there's no way to know exactly how a movie is going to be written and what's going to be included when there's no script. Yeah. And that for me was very surprising because like to hear that basically you don't know what the themes are going to be for this time is very odd. And it does. Isn't that strange? It's very odd and it's very concerning. It is concerning because it. It. (laughs) I don't really know how to say this without sounding sounding negative. Same here. I'm trying not to sound negative about it, but possibility. Maybe the pot. You know, maybe this connected universe thing is going to prove harder than they had originally thought. The fact that everything matters, everything connects so carefully. If you have a TV show that um, can't even tell its story because they don't know what's in the works over here, that may be an issue. I mean, this was a problem we had with Rebels as well. If you remember, Filoni didn't plan on getting rid of the Inquisitors so quickly, but he did because of certain things that they were working on outside of the realm of Star Wars Rebels and his shows and dealing with comics and books and movies. So he had to eliminate the Jedi issue, the Force issue of Force wielders. But the difference is, is Filoni is a very capable writer and director that he was able to make it work so this show can work but moving forward they really need to have strong capable people in those in those roles in both directing and writing yes now when it comes to the the animation uh, this is something that was also very debatable and uh, a polarizing topic on the interweb to see what you thought about it okay the cgi the cell shade animation style i felt looked great it had I had no problems with it. There were moments that I felt like I was watching Macross Plus. It was smart, I feel, to go with Polygon Pictures because they are a Tokyo-based company. This, is, this isn't anything new for them, this type of animation. So I feel like it was a smart move to outsource over to them. And I feel like overall, it worked with what they were trying to do. I know I was a, a bit negative on the animation and I wasn't completely sold on it based on the previews. But now that the episodes are out, I can I can definitively say that I enjoyed the animation style. I didn't have a problem with it. OK, this this is interesting then because you hated it. I started to remember I was actually really supportive of it. But then I saw it last th- this past weekend and I have to say I'm really negative on it. Really? Because here was the thing. I watched it and. Every time I was looking at it, I'm like going, this is a fantastic video game cutscene. This belongs on a video game. I can't disagree with that. I mean, it it did it did look a lot like that. And the problem is, is like when you start doing that, I started noticing that basically I wasn't involved into the the story that often because my brain was wired that saying like, oh, it's a video game. Oh, look at the flying cutscene. That looked fantastic in, mm-hmm. in a video game. I lose all track of like what the story is supposed to be then. Okay. How do you compare it to the jarring effect (laughs) that the Clone Wars had on us? Because it took us a lot of time. If you remember, Dave, back in 2008, it both of us, it took us time to get adjusted to the animation. It was very jarring. It was uncomfortable for our eyes. Do you remember? we, We spoke about this quite a bit. Yeah. How do you compare it to that? Do you feel like it's because it's new or do you think you can eventually get used to it? This is where this is the interesting part, because I actually thought read of I did research on this Mm -hmm. and I read about it. The difference between that and 
this. Mm-hmm. That was just like what we, you just said. It's brand new. It's something that we've never seen before. Let's give it a shot. We'll adjust to it, right? Mm-hmm. This look, this video game look, we've seen this before in a lot of video games. I mean, just recently this past year, one of the biggest video games of the past year, uh, uh, Nintendo's uh, Link's Adventure. Right. Same animation. I look back at it, completely the same animation. And you see other games that have used this animation. Yeah. The and you're just not is, a fan of it. Yeah. The problem is, is like once you actually figure it's a video game, that animation just doesn't translate well into seeing it live action. So do you think you'll get a use to it eventually? Or do you think it's co- going to be constantly uh, a, uh, a finger in your eye? It, it it was like a finger in my eye. Yeah. yeah that's a really good, that's a really good uh, a metaphor for it is like, it's like a finger in the eye. It's always yeah. poking me going there and going to say, Hey, this is a great video game. Mm-hmm. Hey, I should be controlling this, especially when when during the dogfight scenes. Right. Dog, don't get me wrong; the dogfight scenes were fine. They were really good, and they were very. I thought they were the most exciting parts of the episode. I would agree with that. However, I kept looking at it going, man. I want to control the the the, the fighter pilot now. <laughs> I, yeah. And seriously, it's well, that, maybe it's that's that, the point. We all know that Lucas started this years ago. A lot of the things and elements he put in his uh in his movies was a way to market something else to create another another avenue of revenue stream for him another revenue stream and maybe this is a goal of theirs maybe they want to make a star wars resistance video game that's centered around the fighter pilots that's what i'm wondering is like are they gonna actually do that because that would i can see that being successful for a video game yeah for television for like a for like a show for a full season Ooh, that's going to be tough. We'll see, Dave. I know I had similar thoughts with uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Uh, I, I didn't hate on the animation, but I do remember that it took a while it for me while to get to adjusted get to, it. to it. Yeah. So we'll see. Overall, there is potential, but if they hope to keep the bulk Star Wars fans watching, they will need to rework their writing and focus on logical solutions and not fall back on cartoon style problem solving. Uh, something that neither Clone Wars or Rebels ever struggled with. Unlike Star Wars Rebels, that managed to kick you in the feels with some good Star Wars vibrations from the very beginning. Uh, this two-part series premiere fails to deliver any strong Star Wars notes. And out of everything we just discussed, that's the biggest weakness, even more so than the writing. The fact that I, if you took the Star Wars name off this, I wouldn't have any idea we're watching Star Wars there wasn't even a score. You noticed that too, right? It was video game sounds. It was sound design. There was no score. I even Googled the Star Wars Resistance score for this show today. There is none. There's nothing that's been put out there. There's not even a theme. There's not a theme song. How do you not have a theme for your show? Especially like, and yeah, it, it'd be one thing if like, It'd be something like Clone Wars where it's not Star Wars-esque because it has a very, it has its own theme song. Right. But this past weekend, there was no theme song. There was no theme song. There was no music, no score. And I know, Dave, really fast. I want to get your thoughts on this because we got to close out today's show. Um, We have some Easter eggs we'll get into and then that's the end for today. But, Dave, I want to get your thoughts on this. There's been a lot of dialogue on social media about star Wars resistance and that as we move forward and we get more and more star Wars that we have to be open-minded to the possibility that there's going to be a lot of shows that are very, very different from what we're used to. Right. And I agree with that 100%. I don't have a problem. I'm not one of those people that like, you know, there's so many star Wars fans out there that likes to fight the change. Like, no, no, give me Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. And that's all I care about. It's the original trilogy and everything else sucks. I'm open to change. I'm open to different ideas. That's why this new Mandalorian concept that they announced this past week is amazing. Ooh, is amazing. It's, a, it's an awesome concept. That's something totally different than we ever would have possibly gotten under lucas if he was in charge so i'm open to different things but you still got to maintain the genre of star wars because let's be honest star wars isn't just a sci-fi fantasy anymore it's almost its own genre yeah 
So when you write within a genre, you have to maintain certain expectations that come with that genre. You can do different things. You can do an all droid show. You can do a show about stormtroopers. You can do a, a show from the perspective of Vader. You can do a show like Star Wars Resistance, but it still has to be at its heart. It has to be Star Wars. It has to feel like Star Wars, yeah. because if it doesn't, then what is the fucking point besides collecting a massive check for Lucasfilm? And that's what's really important, because like I actually thought about this with, with Resistance as I was watching was like, does this feel like Star Wars? It did it to you a little, just a little bit. See, to me, it didn't at all. It did to me, especially seeing, you know, like the intro and the ending. It felt like I was watching one of those Saturday morning cartoons that I used to watch as a kid that was just kind of one and done. There was nothing that you really expected from it. There was no really, you know, big reveals. It was just a cartoon to kind of pass the time. If it wasn't for those bookends, I, I would feel like this isn't Star Wars at all. Yeah. It, the bookends were the ones that made me feel like it was Star Wars. Yeah, you know the very the in between is where you get that little gray area where it's like, okay, we understand you. You came in when they came out with Resistance. They said this is not about Jedi's. This is about fighter pilots. Right. Okay. Well, fighter pilots are Star Wars as fuck. Uh, Star Wars. That's not the problem. Yeah. You can have you can have zero Jedi and still still feel like Star Wars. Yeah, and I think that that. Where, where for me it got the Star Wars feel was in the uh, visual design. You know, you got to see the aliens. Some of the aliens that they did, they showed off in in, uh, in throughout the, uh, the episode. That felt like Star Wars. Like those were characters that. I, oh yeah, I would picture that. I, I don't. I disagree. You know why? You know why I disagree? Because when we're introduced to aliens, okay. First off, we're introduced to this this platform. Uh, that the Colossus, the Colossus, where Kazuda is going to be a spy, right? Yes. And we're we're sold on the idea that it's very dangerous. That people th they throw you off the edge if they don't like you, right? So yeah. I'm like, okay, I, it was a little silly how they did it, but this is cool. Is there going to be that that Cantina? Uh, Maz's castle vibe going on where the aliens are. That's what it's I was the expecting. seedy underworld that these people aren't to be trusted. That would be Star Wars. But instead, we get these aliens that are buffoons. Go goofy. They're, they're not even scary. And yet we're supposed to believe that they're going to throw you off the Colossus into the depths of the ocean. But meanwhile, they're stupid and hokey. That's why that's why I was torn between this, because for me, visually, Star Wars. But just like what you said, the characterization of those aliens just went out the window. That's fair. I would agree with that. that because like visually, 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 yes, it worked because I love the concept of the, of the visual of the Colossus. It reminds me of Cloud City, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. only reverse. Right. It's basically a city in the sea. Or a city surrounded by ocean, which is fantastic. It's a it's a planet that's nothing but water. All right, guys. So I got an idea. Think of Cloud City, but not in the clouds. Yeah, but then there's so a regular city. So <laughs> good so, job. So there's so, but then it comes down to the characterization of it all, and that's where it really fell flat. Yeah. Because can you imagine if, say, they took that concept of the Colossus and this ragtag pirate like atmosphere mm -hmm. like like tortuga yeah of of the colossus and actually gave it some oomph yeah forget the goofiness you can have a little goofiness because yeah. hey, it works in pirates of the caribbean there's goofiness everywhere look at the last jedi in the casino scene look at force awakens in the maz's castle even though it's cool there's some goofiness there look at star wars is is goofy at times it's that b-ish vibe the flash gordon the flash feel. gordon feel like i get it that works but buffoonery is I, is something totally different i was hoping i was hoping you wouldn't bring up that that one scene because it like made me so angry at the tv when i saw it where's the fireball scene where they get the parts and they trade sandwiches for it. <laughs> like going, what the hell yeah that was the worst part are you for me. kidding me i feel like that was the worst part of the whole entire that, series that's that episode that's basically kanan is blind and going around going where are you oh my god i can't see you well of course you're blind you idiot <laughs> 
Hey, do you want to trade these for sandwiches? Oh, these sandwiches are really good. Imagine if Han Solo solved his debt problem with sandwiches in Star Wars. Jabba, here's some food. Listen, Jabba, I don't have the money. I know I dumped my shipment at the first sign of Imperial Entanglement. I'm sorry, but here's a sandwich. Take it, you fat fuck. (laughs) That's what I kept thinking to myself. And Jabba agrees. All right, thanks you. Thank you, Han Solo. You're a good boy. Thank you for the sandwich. Thank you for the sandwich. All debt is forgiven. Do you think the Department of Student Loans will also accept sandwiches? Because then I'm saved, Dave. I will no longer be drowning in debt. I'm going to give the federal government sandwiches to pay back my student loans. I was hoping that basically it was so bad that you would have just forgotten it and just let it slide. Come on, Dave. (laughs) Who who do you think I am? (laughs) But but yeah, then you get to that goofiness and it ruins the possibility of actually giving some really teeth to these characterizations of where you're set. Yeah. Now you got Now they have to win us over the next couple episodes and give all their characters and everything they got to us. They got to give it some teeth. Yeah. Because how are we going to, how are we going to fear the first order? (laughs) We're supposed to fear the first order at this point. A little bit of teeth, Dave is okay. Sometimes just a little bit, right? Just a little bit of teeth. Not the full jaw we don't want. No, not the full jaw. But a little bit of tea sometimes feels good, depending on the mood. It's that tactile sensation. Yeah. All right. So if people out there, Dave, are in agreement or disagreement, please tweet us at from back to tank on Twitter at from back to tank. Let us know your thoughts on the premiere episode and our discussion, whether you're listening live right now or when the show is on demand, we want to hear thoughts because I know by going through the Star Wars resistance hashtags, there's a lot of people that are just blowing it because they're excited. It's Star Wars. They want to be positive, which they should. We and should I, be positive about it. Well, we were positive. There are there is a lot of potential, but there's, there's a, lot, a of lot of weakness in in this pilot that was not there in the 2018 Clone Wars movie or the Star Wars Rebels premiere do you remember how giddy we were when we walked out of the screening for star wars rebels the premiere the hour movie that we were able to watch what was it, like a month before yes at the screening for press we were excited the way it ended with kanan taking and putting his lightsaber together out of those pieces that were strapped to his belt and suddenly the realization that the jedi are back and callus's face when he, he freaked out holy shit the jedi are back that's fucking awesome. It was awesome. That's how you end a fucking premiere. And with this, we just didn't get that. There was none of that holy shit, cool Star Wars vibe going on at all. It was just a lot of yelling and falling. Yeah. All right. So according to Digital Spy, there were 11 Star Wars Easter eggs in Star Wars Resistance. I don't know. I still feel people don't know the definition of of, a, of an Easter, Easter egg. egg. But I'm going to go through these because regardless, these are these are interesting picks. I, I wouldn't call them Easter eggs, but they're definitely interesting picks. Interesting picks. Yeah. Number one is opening shot. It says all the movies as fans are no doubt aware begin with a shot in space and then some kind of tilt up or down. Here, the resistance pays tribute to the force awakens with a neat joke where we think a planet will obscure will be obscured by a spaceship but it turns out to be a droid a very last jedi sort of gag it worked i liked it it was cool the way it started yeah i thought it actually was a really good nod i want to exactly call it an easter egg no that's not an easter egg (laughs) that's why i said it's not an easter egg it's definitely a a a cool little if you've watched it's just a nod to how star wars starts yeah they're playing on our knowledge of or our expectations of what we're used to when a star wars movie starts that was clever i liked that uh number two the tie interceptor first seen in return of the jedi these imperial ships make a return many years on uh, kylo ren pilots a modified version in the last jedi as he hunts down the remainder of the resistance uh, however the version we've seen in the new animated show is a slightly snazzier red matched by armor of the pilot inside who seems to resemble a member of the Emperor's Royal Guard, also first seen in The Return of the Jedi. Well, we've seen lots of red armor. Armor. I feel like this guy that wrote this may not know Star Wars as much as, say, you and I. Red armor is not just... 
exclusive to the Emperor's Royal Guards or even Snoke's Guards. But I feel like what they did by positioning this guy at the beginning and the end, I have a feeling that he's going to be the main villain. Yes. I, I actually was psyched about this because it was a good moment. It and, was a, and a good call. Moment. It was a great moment. A great call. You got to introduce your villain at the beginning. They, and they did. And, and they didn't. They didn't give any answers. Nope. Because those are the types of no answers that work for the mystery that you need to maintain to get us watching again. Yeah. The way you use this as a quote, quote, Easter egg is basically by saying, like, it's a callback to basically the Red Baron mythos. Mm hmm. What are we actually here for? We're here to have a story of, of fighter pilots. Oh, I like that, That's, that's actually a good similar callback. to the World War II. Yeah, that's true. What World War II pilot was super well famous in all of history? The Red Baron. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I didn't even pick that out, but that's, that's, that's awesome. When I saw that, I'm like going, he's my main villain and I'm going to love him because he's the Red Baron. Yeah, that's cool. And it's nice that we're going to get a villain that... We aren't familiar with. Yes, I do want to see more of Captain Phasma. I know I make jokes about, hey, she blew it. She had a chance to be cool, and they blew it and two times it. in a row. <laughs> but, but I feel like this would be a great way to use her. However, it's also nice to have the, the introduction of something new, a new villain. Yeah. Because there's more they can do with it, in my opinion. So that was smart. Plus, he's a pilot. If you're dealing with hotshot pilots or ace pilots, your villain has also better be yeah. a hotshot pilot of sorts as well. Uh, number four, I'm skipping a couple, Blockade Runner. This was also one of my favorite moments. I thought it was so fucking cool. And that connection of the entire you know, mythos of Star Wars or the overall story arc of Star Wars, how they tied it into New Hope uh, when they said that this Corillian Corvette was a part of the Battle of Scarif all the way up to Jakku. And we already know that the Battle of Scarif was, of course, seen in Rogue One. And it was the ship that Leia used to take off, right? Yep. Take off. And basically, we see it again in A New Hope. Yes. So it was cool to see this ship return. Even though we've seen plenty of Carillion Corvettes, but they made it a point to say this is that ship. That was cool. Yeah. That is a really cool Easter egg. All right. There was also some monster tattoos. Uh, there was a character that had a lot of tattoos on him from right to left. According to this article, There's there was a Rancor from Return of the Jedi. Yep. Uh, There's also the emblem for the Black Sun, which I thought was nice little nod, and also just keeping that as an ongoing as a ongoing thing. Yeah, yeah, you got to. When I saw the when I saw the Black Sun tattoo, I'm like going, okay, are we gonna actually do? Are we gonna see stuff from Solo? Yeah, are we gonna see the stuff of basically the the all the crime syndicates that were there that's under Darth or was under Darth Maul? Yeah. There's some cool stuff. And then we have the Star Killer base, which I thought was also a really cool way to end it. Especially, I mean, it looked amazing. It was probably the best. I mean, it looked like it was straight up from The Force Awakens. Yeah. It looked really fucking good, especially on a big giant HD television screen. That whole sequence at the end with the the red uh, pilot and the red interceptor flying towards Star Killer base was just a great way to end the show. Yeah. So that was solid. And that was really solid seeing that one. All right, Dave, you know what? I've already said my piece. We need to close out today's show. I think people know my final thoughts. Dave, give me your final thoughts before we close out today. My final thoughts of this, uh, this premiere, I would give it a solid C plus. It kept me engaged. I like the, I like the visuals minus the kind of moments where you have those video game X poke, poke in the eye moments. But overall, I, I'm not going to be negative towards this C, uh, series as of yet. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to actually pick up story-wise with the next two episodes, which I feel because of your weak pilot, you have to score with the next two. Yep. You've got to establish now, especially since you have to establish your main villain. They had, if, you look at, if you look at the premiere, did they really establish a main villain? Not really. We saw him because, as we said, we're we, we're, we're assuming we're assuming, we're assuming that he, that the the imperial pilot with the red suit that's our main villain. We're assuming it's him, but we don't know. Yeah. So you have to establish that. 
and and we know the threat of the of the new of the first order. We get that as well. We get that. You st- and do you realize that they established that perfectly in very two short segments of the entire thing? But they couldn't establish freaking the resistance Mm-mm. because it's too hazy. <laughs> because well, they're a bunch of radicals. That's it. Yeah. And, <laughs> Ooh, and obviously, they accept anybody as spies without yeah. checking without their background. Checking. <laughs> the- <laughs> I mean, Captain Phasma, if she wanted to, could probably just take her armor off and try to join the resistance. Then yeah. Poe would be like, "Hey, hey, you're you look like a great warrior. You want to be a spy? Sure. <laughs> sure. Still a better story than Last Jedi." <laughs> 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 so dumb all right we need to close out thank you david if anybody misses any part of this broadcast ever right dave they can find us on itunes and stitcher as well as google play just search star wars from the back to tank thank you dave thank you may the force be with us hello this is stormtrooper one and if you've missed any portion of the show you can always head over to from the back to tank.com and uh listen to the show at your leisure uh, we're also on Stitcher, Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, search BAFTA, and that is to your favorites. Thank you. And uh, listen responsibly. And may the Force be with you. And long live. Thank you for listening to From the Back to Take. And From the Back to Take is executive produced by Michael Flores and Dustin Lucas. Hosted by Michael Flores. David Zabal. You can find out more about our show by going to www.fromthebacktotank.com. You can also find us on Twitter at FromBackToTank, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash from the